0: Caution! The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 150th episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa.
1: And my name is Allison. <laughs> So happy 150 episodes to us. We are very pleased that you've been on this musical journey with us for so long, and we hope you have enjoyed our episodes.
0: This week, we're talking about a very special composer who was apparently very important to Bach's biography. And for context on that, be sure to check out our previous episode, episode 149. Any guesses who it might be? Mendelssohn. No, it's not Mendelssohn. <laughs> it's actually Dietrich Buxtehude.
1: Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Buxtehood.
0: Buxtehood. <laughs> and why did Bach think he was so great? Well, let's try to find out.
1: So while he might have been very well known during his time, Dietrich Buxtehood has sadly suffered the effects of the passage of time. And sadly, we just don't know all there is to know about him.
0: Now, as an aside, and speaking of Mendelssohn, wouldn't it have been interesting if Felix Mendelssohn had committed his life to unearthing all things Baroque rather than just focusing on Bach?
1: Yeah, you know, we might know so much more about so many long forgotten composers.
0: Dang it, Felix. Yeah,
1: Felix. So, anyway. Come
0: back and research more.
1: <laughs> we need the spirit of Mendelssohn to come and tell us about literally every composer
0: when you are when you're researching composers Allison do you feel like you're channeling the spirit of Felix Mendelssohn
1: absolutely
0: perfect (laughs) (laughs) now it's actually thought that Buxtehude might be of Danish origin we think his birthplace is likely near Helsingborg then a part of Denmark
1: his father had definitely been employed as the church organist in Helsingborg in 1637 when we think that little Dietrich was born. Of note, Helsingborg is now actually part of Sweden. However, Buxtehude could also have been born in Oldslo, Holstein, which is also part of then Denmark, but is now Germany.
0: Apparently this is now the Coffee House Classical Geography podcast. <laughs> now, while we don't know when he was born or what part of the world is still where he was born (laughs) we can assume that he learned keyboards from his musician father and in the church music he would go on to write he displays a command of the latin language which confidently suggests he had access to education he also seems to have spoken both danish and german from a young age now skipping ahead to 51 years old
1: yeah, when he was 51, the next thing that we really have that's important, he was documented as being the church organist in Lübeck, which is a German town, which is actually quite close to Hamburg. As discussed in our previous episode, Bach actually traveled all the way to Lübeck to train with Buxtehude, and at that time, the young Bach was traveling from Arnstadt, which is close to Leipzig. Again, coffeehouse geography podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bach apparently walked all the way there, which is a journey of over 200 miles.
0: But he wasn't the only young contemporary to visit Buxtehude. He also received visits from Handel, Matheson, and Telemann. So why have a have we never heard of him? And B, why was he so famous?
1: We've never heard of him because Felix Mendelssohn because didn't Felix care.
0: Mendelssohn didn't care. <laughs> So compared to the innovations of Bach, his works don't seem like the most impressive things to come out of the Baroque era, but he was well known as one of the finest organists in Germany at the time. He was also famous for pioneering a series of concerts that had been initiated prior to Buxtehude inheriting this post as well, concerts for the business and trade community of the city. Apparently, these were held on Thursdays prior to opening of the Stock Exchange. Can you imagine if we had a concert instead of a bell to open the stock exchange every day?
1: I think, gosh, it was Dior or something like that just had a fashion show at the sock, stock exchange.
0: <laughs> the stock exchange. That, <laughs> I think that would be much more interesting, either the stock exchange or stock exchange.
1: <laughs> Editor's note, it was Balenciaga, not Dior. By the time Buxtahood inherited this tradition, they were already quite grand affairs with vocalists and instrumentalists, but Buxtahood increased the scale even more, and he even had extra balconies specially installed in the church to allow for the bigger consorts. But Buxtahood had a vision of these concerts being even more prominent, so rather than being just on Thursdays when most people were working, he would move them to Sundays, particularly for feast days and during Advent. These concerts became known as the Abendmusiken, the evening concerts, and continued in this grand scale even after Buxtehude's death well into the 19th century.
0: Now, although Buxtehude was talented and definitely deserved his job as the St. Mary's organist in Lübeck, talent was not the only requirement. And if it were, we might have seen Handel or Bach succeeding Buxtehude after his death. But that's not the case, due to perhaps the unwritten rule of this position. To hold the job of the Lubeck Organist, you had to marry your predecessor's daughter.
1: (laughs) Or at least that's what Buxtehude did when he married Anna Magrath, the daughter of the late Franz Tunder, who was Buxtehude's predecessor. And then when Buxtehude was casually looking for his own replacement as well, he set this as one of the conditions for the job, and he tried to impose it on Handel and Bach.
0: Now, for one reason or another, hopefully not reflecting upon the poor young woman (laughs) herself, both Handel and Bach found this requirement unacceptable and therefore had to find jobs elsewhere. It seems after Buxtehude's death, when a new organist still had yet to be found and his daughters were still unmarried, the church still respected his wish that his successor would marry said daughter. The new organist became some other unknown schmuck Johann Christian Schiefer- Schieferdecker
1: and he'll never become famous because his name is hard to say
0: <laughs> oh if only Mendelssohn had had the foresight to look into that guy as well
1: <laughs> however three died as infants and one died as a teenager so only three of these daughters were actually around to be married by the time of Bucks to Who's death
0: regardless of positions and daughters Bach was obviously heavily influenced by Buxtehude from the short time he spent studying with him. And Buxtehude is credited with being one of the first composers to really solidify the fugue form as we know it in the Baroque era. He's also famous for seeming to be the creator of the organ toccata style, as much as we might think about it all being Bach. All Bach all the time. (laughs) Now, he did learn it from somewhere.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now, not only was Buxtehude an accomplished musician, but he also was the treasurer and accountant for the church, and he also dabbled in poetry. Though we don't really know a lot about Buxtehude,
0: And Mendelssohn did nothing to help us.
1: What we do know is thanks to many of his students, and actually the younger Baroque composers. Where his original manuscripts are largely all lost, there are dozens of copies that were made by his students who were eagerly trying to learn the ins and outs of the Baroque theory. Of course, mimicry is often the greatest flattery, so even though the romantics didn't see it, it seems that Buxtehude was really worthy of accolades.
0: So let's see for ourselves some of the great Buxtehudean music with the Toccata in F Major, number 156. First off, perhaps, what is a toccata?
1: That's an excellent question. It's a type of musical form that is really meant to show off the drama and musicality of the performer, and it's often characterized by large runs and overall grand-sounding passages. This is often meant to sound like improvisation.
0: Buxtehude's to toccata here is fun, because not only does it have these exciting passages, but also fugues. Interestingly... These two types of styles couldn't be more different, improvisation being clearly musical and exciting, and fugues being academic and, depending on your point of view, quite dry. But Buxtehude has masterfully crafted his fugues in this piece to really flow nicely into the improvisatory sections, so we get hints of academia, but really, it's just quite nice to listen to.
1: So, jumping right into this piece, it starts off with quite a flourish that immediately establishes the home key of F major. And after we get that little introduction, Buxtehude shows off a special quality of the organ, which is the ability to sustain a very low note forever. This is called a pedal tone because it is played by a foot pedal, and it also completely solidifies our tonic note of F throughout the rest of this introduction section.
0: Now that is until we move to the fifth, C, indicating that we are going on to a new section. And in that new section, we change both time signature and style. We have moved from 4-4 now into 12-8, meaning we've switched to that triplet feel. Now this section is not exactly a fugue, but BuxtaHood tricks us into thinking it might be by starting the way that all fugues start. Here is our initial theme, the subject... And then we hear a mimic, the
1: answer. The reason, however, that this is not a true fugue is that there is no section with episodes. We do hear the fugue subject and answer again a few more times, actually, but there's really no development. It's just the same opening material over and over again. This section being in 12.8 also keeps the music moving along so triplet feels are often more dance-like and less strict-sounding than 4-4. So it makes this section actually stand out after having heard that elaborate improvisatory introduction.
0: We then get a neat little bridge that's not quite a fugue and not quite improvisatory. It's more like a little oompa jig, almost. (laughs) ¶¶ jump back into 4-4, and take off again with more flourishes. This time, our pedal tone starts right on the 5th.
1: One important thing to listen for in these improvisatory sections is actually the musicality of the performer that they have to bring to these sections. So looking from a theory perspective, this is really just an extended 5 to 1 cadence, and it has a lot of fluff but no melody laid out over top of it. So to make it make sense, the performer has to pick out special parts to use rubato, which is meaning the pushing and pulling of time, and this essentially creates a roadmap of really what of these fluffy notes the listener should be paying attention to.
0: Now here you'll begin to find a pattern. After an improvisatory cadence, There should be a new fugue, and this time, it's a real one.
1: So here's our subject and answer. And we even get a third and fourth voice, which is the magic of the organ, because it's almost like having four hands.
0: Unlike our first Fugue-like section, we actually get a development with episodes. And here's an example of a couple particularly lovely ones, not at all in our home key. Although this section is kind of short, we do get a complete fugue because our subject does eventually come back in in the same key it was first introduced, heard in the bass.
1: Then there's a little coda section that takes the 16th note motif that we've been hearing in the subject and plays around with it in a quasi-improvisatory manner. Near the end of this, we get a modulation out of F major and into G minor, which is an interesting pick because these are not related keys. But through a diminished chord, anything is possible, and we can pivot to G minor easily.
0: And we don't even change the key signature, it still just notates one flat. Yet all the accidentals written into the music is usually just an F sharp.
1: Now, hold on, Asa. This doesn't make sense okay. at all. <laughs> G minor is a relative of B flat, and we should have a key signature with two flats and get rid of that F sharp. That's from G major.
0: Okay, okay. Well, so let's make it make sense. There are different types of minor scales. Oh. The one you're thinking of with two flats in G minor is the natural minor, because you play it, quote, naturally, not changing the key signature all at all or adding accidentals. Oh! But there's also the harmonic minor scale, which keeps the key signature, but raises the seventh of the scale. So in the case of G minor, we would still play our two flats, E flat and B flat, but also throw in an F sharp instead of F natural.
1: That's it. But wait, it's not. Keep going.
0: All right. So there's actually one more, because finally we come to the melodic minor scale that Buxtahoot is using here. This one raises the 6th and 7th notes of the scale. So it's almost like the first half is in minor key, and the second half of the scale is in the major key. So in this case, our 6th in G minor is E-flat, but raised, it's just E-natural. Hence why, in our piece here, we can keep our key signature from F major with just B-flat notated. Then we add our F-sharp accidentals, so it doesn't look too messy on the page.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for coming to our theory talk.
0: It's Baroque music. What do you expect?
1: (laughs) Nothing less. But get this, we don't even stay in G minor for very long.
0: After all of that.
1: (laughs) It's actually just a short stop on our way to our ultimate goal of D minor, which is the relative minor to F major. Finally, there is peace in the world. It all makes sense. And also, we're back in 12 e
0: We're actually rolling through the keys here. Following the circle of fifths, we now move from D minor with 1-flat to B-flat with 2 flats. Now, don't get confused. This next part has some imitation, but it is not a fugue. Just another one of Buxtehude's tricks of improv versus fugue.
1: So, following this pattern that we've set up, there's a little improvisation, a little modulation. This time to C minor with three flats, then a quasi fugue. You get the picture. At the end of this little section, we quickly take a half measure detour through F minor, which is four flat land, before arriving back at our home key of F major.
0: the pattern real fugue time real bucks to fugue again it's really short but we get all the requisite parts of a fugue and not just basic repetition after this we have a very gentle sounding part very different than any of the material we've heard before so it gets to show off a different aspect of the performer's musicality.
1: Then, after lulling us into a contemplative state, Buxtehude whacks us over the head with something that sounds like we're hammering away at an Indian cadence. This section is not quite as rubato as other improvisatory sections have been, it's actually really highlighting the rhythm more than the key at this point.
0: Also, take note of all the busyness in the bass notes. These are sixteenth notes. And keep in mind, this line is actually played with the feet. Playing organ is really quite a workout. (laughs) Full body workout. Oh,
1: yeah. Cardio in there. You really have to put your whole heart into it.
0: There you go. (laughs) Every day is leg day when you're an organist.
1: (laughs) So as we wrap up, almost coming to the end, our next musical idea is a quasi-fugue again. We hear a lot of repetition, but not the whole fugue form dragged out again.
0: And the finale of the piece is really just a large F major chord. There are some tootlings in the treble notes, but due to the sheer amount of louder notes being played underneath, they are hardly the most important thing to hear. So, there we go. This music was worth traveling 200 miles on foot to hear back in the day, but not good (laughs) enough to marry someone's daughter.
1: And not good enough to have the great Felix Mendelssohn take notice of him.
0: This is all a joke, Mendelssohn. You did good work. And last episode, actually, wasn't it Mendelssohn who was the forgotten one?
1: That's right. So, if anything, this episode really should have been on Mendelssohn. But, listener, we have done Mendelssohn episodes before about both Felix and Fanny, so go back and listen to those.
0: Yeah, please do. And if you've been moved by the spirit of Mendelssohn, or indeed the spirit of Buxtahood, may his name and his writing live on in your heart and mind forever. And may this podcast live on forever in the hearts and mind of your recommendations to your friends and family, (laughs) and in the reviews that you so kindly leave us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, when you leave thumbs up on spot this metaphor has extended itself <laughs> too far so we <laughs> shall just conclude for the coffeehouse classical music podcast i'm asa
1: and i'm allison thank you so much for listening the takata in f major bucks wv 156 was performed by michael schopen you can find the coffee house on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts be sure to rate review and subscribe follow us on facebook or instagram email us at coffeehouseclassical@gmail.com. At